a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 119 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to people working in or around the sportscasting industry from all over the country. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media app. If you're listening to this show on time, you might be wondering what the heck is going on. It's Monday, right? Did I look at my calendar? Is that really what day it is? This podcast has come out every other Thursday for nearly five years, but right now with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and everything going on, I'm so far ahead in episodes that I wanted to take a few opportunities to get a couple out in one week. And that is what I'm going to do here. We'll release this one today on Monday. And I'll have another one uh, specifically with Steve Hers, the sports agent from the Montag Group. And he will be the guest on Thursday. So treat this surprise episode as a bonus and again we'll have another one Thursday at the normal time but anyone who has covered sports at the college level at any level knows that a good sports information director is a broadcaster's very best friend they provide game notes pronunciation guides and even stats during the game to help you paint the picture to your listeners of what is going on in front of you often they are overlooked, underappreciated, and that is why I wanted to handle this episode differently and talk to two well-respected SIDs here in the Twin Cities to share their stories, what they do, and how we as broadcasters can make their lives easier. I was really fortunate to be able to connect with Paul Rovnak, he's from the University of Minnesota, and Gene McGivern from the University of St. Thomas. First up, we'll talk with Paul Rovnak. And Paul, thanks so much for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast. Oh, Logan, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I look forward to speaking with you. Let's start with a little bit on your background. As we mentioned, you're uh, the Director of Communications for Athletics for the University of Minnesota, but you came up through the ranks with the Washington Capitals and the LPGA Tour. What initially led you to be interested in the sports communication side of this business and just give us the cliff notes version of how you ended up where you are. Sure thing, Logan. Well, I'm originally from a suburb of Columbus, Ohio called Gahanna, Ohio, about 15 minutes east of downtown. So I went to Ohio state for college, like a lot of people do from that area. And as you know, uh, athletics are extremely important at Ohio state. And so I thought I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. And so I, I worked for the uh, the student newspaper, The Lantern, there. I covered the football team, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I had a, a fellow uh, reporter named Andy Flutterjohn, who was writing and covering the basketball team. And he also worked in the communications office, the sports information office. And he said, hey, you should come work for us in, in sports information as well. And I said, well, I don't even really know what that is. And he kind of looked at me dumbfounded, and he's like, they're the people that help us line up all the interviews, the ones that have the game notes, the ones that make the media guides, and and I was really intrigued by it. And so I was uh, fortunate enough to apply for a student position in the communications office at Ohio State, was able to be hired, and um, the rest is kind of history. I, I, I learned that I really liked knowing what was going on instead of trying to figure out what was going on. And um, I'm still I, I'm still friends with Andy to this day. He actually works at the ACC Conference and Communications, and um, uh, I, I often wonder if he never uh, encouraged me to, to, to look at that uh, position and if I would have uh, got into communications or not. But um, you said cliff notes, so I'll speed it up a little bit. I apologize. Um, 
So at Ohio State, uh, I worked in their, in their office, uh, but I only did it for a year because it took me a while to kind of find, find my calling. Our profession is based a lot of, upon experience. So when I graduated, I, I had no job offers. Everyone's saying, oh, hey, we really enjoyed uh, speaking with you, but we're going to hire this person that has three or four years experience uh, that they got when they were in college. And again, I only had one. So <clears throat> I got a full-time job outside of sports doing PR for a media buying agency. And I was writing press releases. Uh, it was a wonderful job. Don't get me wrong. I was writing press releases on on salad dressings and, and croutons. And it just wasn't my passion. Sports were my passion. So I quit that job and I took a, um, a three-month internship at the American Junior Golf Association uh, based out of Georgia. Uh, the AJGA uh, pretty much changed my life. We traveled around the country, a uh, different city every week, running junior golf tournaments. For any um, young aspiring journalist or communications professional or anybody who wants to work in sports, I can't recommend that internship enough. And we had a tournament in Daytona Beach, Florida. That's where the headquarters of the LPGA is. And life sometimes is a lot about luck. And we had a dinner where we were supposed to sit down or we were supposed to fill the empty seats once all the, all the uh, players and their parents had, had, um, had sat down for dinner. And so I sat down in an empty seat next to an individual who just happened to work for the LPGA tour. And as luck would have it, she did the same internship I was doing a year before. She said, you should come work for us. She said, we have a job open. You should, you should apply for it. I applied for it. I was fortunate enough to get hired. I moved from Ohio to Florida. I didn't know anybody. Lived in a you know, 450 square foot apartment, maybe a little bigger than that, actually, Logan. I worked for the OPJ tour for a couple of years. Well, when I was in Daytona Beach, um, I met uh, my future wife, um, one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. And um, she's from Minnesota. And so we talked about how to get either back to Ohio or Minnesota. And when you work at the LPGA tour, you travel all over the country and all over the world. One of the individuals I met was Bill Robertson, um, now the commissioner of the CCHA. I apologize, WCHA. And um, he was working for the Minnesota Wild at the time. And he actually sent me a job and said, hey, I know you want to get to Minnesota or Ohio, and um, but there's a job open with the Washington Capitals. And they're really good people. Mate Yule and Kurt Keel um, worked in their communications office. Um, I think you should take a look at it. So I applied for that job, uh, was fortunate enough to get it. Uh, my wife and I uh, said, hey, we'll go to Washington, D.C. We'll be there for two years, and then we'll use hockey to uh, to get to either Ohio or Minnesota. And that plan actually worked. We were there a little bit longer, two years, about three and a half years, but a position came open at the University of Minnesota with a hockey um, um, in the sports information office, working with the hockey team. So I applied for that, was able to get it, and uh, worked for the hockey team for two years, and then it's worked for the football team for the last eight years. So a lot of luck, Logan, a lot of luck and a lot of um, being at the right place at the right time. Are there any split loyalties on game day when the Gophers and the Buckeyes square off? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, not at all. There's uh you want to win every game. Uh, there's, I would, I would love to see nothing more than, than Minnesota uh, beat Ohio state in, in, in any sport, no split loyalties at all. I love my alma mater, but uh, um, it's it's all maroon and gold now. Walk us through your responsibilities as the director of athletic communications on a game week. What is everything that you have to do uh, to be ready for game day that somebody who's not behind the scenes uh, wouldn't know is going on? Yeah, uh, Logan, it's kind of like a juggler, you know, somebody that you would see at uh, the circus or a kid's show, just constantly keeping as many balls in the air as possible and not letting any hit the ground. Um, basically, the week starts um, early. We we have to make sure Monday is kind of our prep day, right? So I'll, I'll just go from like a, a Monday through a Sunday. Monday is our prep day. We're getting everything ready for the next game on Saturday. They're usually on Saturday, right? Although we have a couple Friday games. And um, so I'm getting all my game notes ready. Um, I'm making sure everything's updated on the website. Uh, and that actually takes a lot of time because you're, you're making sure people like you and our, our, our radio partners and our TV partners and our print media that covers on a daily basis have everything they need to um, be ready to cover the everything that happens during the week and the upcoming game. So Monday we get everything ready. Uh, Tuesday is a big media day for us. So Tuesday, we do a weekly radio show with Coach Fleck. We do a, a weekly press conference with Coach Fleck. We have student-athletes available. Um, Wednesday, after practice, we have student-athletes and coordinators available. Thursday is kind of a, a catch-your-breath day. 
um, make sure you, you have everything ready for Friday and Saturday. Friday, um, if it's a home game, then we're setting everything up at the stadium. We're doing TV broadcast meetings with coaches and players. So when, when you're watching a game or listening to a game on the radio and they say, well, we were talking to Coach Fleck yesterday, that, that's what those meetings are. And, and they, those can take a, a, a couple hours. Um, and then Saturday, you know, our press box at TCF Bank Stadium opens uh, four hours prior to the game. So if it's an 11 a.m. game, we're there at 6.45 in the morning. You know, Ryan Tibbetts, uh, who works football with us as well, um, is probably the person you should be speaking with because uh, he's just a, a tremendous uh, co-worker, um, also has a, a, little, a little bit of a past radio background. So maybe, maybe, he's, a, maybe he's your next guest. Uh, but really the, the backbone of our, our football operations support staff from a communication standpoint. But so we're, we get there around 6.45 for an 11 o'clock game. Media are arriving um, right around 7, 7.30. You have uh, pregame uh, TV interviews with Coach Fleck in the field. You have uh, meetings with all your events and operations staff. We make sure we check in with home radio, visiting radio, TV. Um, is there a player who is injured is not going to play that we need to let TV know about or radio know about? You're answering questions from all the print media in the press box. You're, you're making sure the press meal is out on time. Uh, you're making sure that everyone that requested a credential is able to get in. Um, and then if that game kicks off at 11, you know, games, I mean, let's say they're, you know, 3, 3.15, right? So um, the next game usually starts at 2.30, so it's over at 2. And then we're leaving um, the stadium about three hours after that because we have to make sure that we have everything um, ready for the media in terms of press conferences with the coach and student-athletes. And then we have to make sure that our own story, because we put our own story on the website, we have to make sure our stats are updated on the website so everything's ready to go the next week. And then Sunday, we um, spend updating all player bios on the website. Uh, we spend working on those game notes that I was talking about, and it's it's another prep day. I should I should add in there on on Monday, we also have uh, our local beat reporters from the Star Tribune and Pioneer Press come and coach to talk to get a follow-up from the game, so they have stuff to cover. cover. So... Um, it's, a it's, it's extremely busy during the season. Um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday don't really matter. It's more of what day is it in relation to the game. So, um, during season you're on campus a hundred days in a row. There's really no days off unless you have a bye week and you can, you can sneak out. Um, but that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the preface, uh, that's kind of everything that we do during a week for a football game. And that's very similar for all of our sports, you know, whether it's, Mandy Hansen, horse with women's hockey, or Brian Deutsch with men's hockey, Michelle Traversy with volleyball, Dan Riesig, men's basketball, Carl Anderson, women's basketball, Ryan Tibbetts, who I mentioned with me in football and softball. Um, that's kind of the process for anyone in my profession that does that, um, except some other people have to do it even more where you might have two basketball games or three basketball games in a week. Well, you're, you're prepping everything uh, even faster uh, for those, those media and those individuals. So it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love, and, and uh, we really enjoy it. You have to coordinate with all the media, but because this show is mostly about play-by-play, you know, I want to talk about your specific relationship and uh, what you, your communication with, uh, we'll just say Mike Grimm. We know he's the gopher football broadcaster, but the rest of the Big Ten broadcasters, uh, the national TV broadcasters, uh, what is your relationship with specifically with play-by-play people and what goes on between you guys well i think we have the best play-by-play person in the country to be honest with you and i know that you know mike and um you know i i I talk to him probably every other day even in the off season um he's a really good friend of mine he's um also a a valuable resource so um, my job with with the announcers is to help make their job as easy as possible um and so with mike and daryl thompson justin guard um you know Corbu and our wonderful uh, Gopher Radio Network crew. Uh, I'm in contact with them pretty much probably every day, every other day during during the season, making sure they have what they need. Um, some people want more information. You know, Mike Mike is extremely meticulous. Um, he wants to know um, everything and he wants to be prepared. And uh, and I really appreciate Mike Grimm because Mike makes me better at my job and holds me accountable. And uh, if there's things that I'm I'm not doing that could be useful to him. He lets me know. And that's, that's tremendous feedback that I greatly appreciate. So I think that's the kind of relationship that any communications professional should have with 
any play-by-play announcer or member of their of their 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 broadcast team. Uh, it should be two-way. Um, it should be, hey, do you have what you need? What else can I help you with? Um, you know, and is there some stuff where um, I might know something that would benefit him um, and and uh, share with him early that other media might find out? Yeah, absolutely, there is. And, um, you know, that's the kind of rela- relationship that Mike has with myself and, and has with, uh, with our coaching staff because uh, they approve that as well. And so, um, but my job for them is to make it as easy as possible, as easy as possible. Um, make sure they have all their game notes, make sure they have the depth chart, make sure they know that, oh, hey, this player's not playing this week um, so they can be prepared. Or if there's any last minute breaking information to make sure they get it as soon as possible. Um, yeah, and, and it, Mike, I mean, I've been pretty active on social media about it. I mean, I think he's the best in the business. So in terms of TV that comes and changes every single week, that's kind of a baptism by fire, right? Because you might have some TV announcers or visiting radio. I should preface video visiting radio as well. Um, some might say, Hey, Paul, can I get you on the phone for an hour during the, during the week? I, w- I want to go over some stuff with you. I want to go over pronunciations. I want to go over your depth chart. I want to go over storylines. Absolutely. You know, we're happy to do that. That's our job is to, is to help them out. And then you might have some that come in and, um, they, they may not ask you for, for anything. Um, and, and they might rely more on that, that Friday meeting with, uh, with your head coach or coordinators and your players to get a lot of their information. So our, our job is to, to help them out as much as possible too, uh, you know, with the producers and directors too. Um, each person goes about it their own way. Each person prepares for their, their own broadcast, their own way. Um, but for us, you know, we, we know a lot of them now that, uh, they do college football games around the country and especially visiting radio, uh, play-by-play voices in, in the Big Ten that um, we, we kind of know what they want and, and how we can help them. And then on game days, um, you know, we do a last-minute check-in. This is Ryan Tibbetts, who I mentioned earlier. Um, it's one of the things he does. Uh, he, he stops by the TV booth and the visiting radio booth and, again, just make sure, hey, do you know how to say this name? Oh, hey, this player, he got hurt. He's not going to play, so you can take him off this list. Um, that That's our job. Our job is to be that, to be that resource for them and provide any any information that they um, that they may need, but I think the biggest thing is just a relationship. And so I think too for for people in in your profession and play by play announcers that um, for one they need to say the damn score more often. That is one of my complaints as well. <laughs> but um, but two um, have that relationship with your with your PR professional because um, you can help make our job a lot easier, and a lot more efficient, and we can help make your job a lot easier and a lot more efficient too. From the other side, what as a broadcaster can I do to make your job easier? And without saying any names, what are things that happen maybe that annoy you from our side that we could do better? Well, I think a lot. Okay. So I kind of gave you the time frame during the week, right? If you know how everything happens, I love the announcers that call early in the week or shoot an email and say, um, you know, Greg Sharp from Nebraska, awesome guy. And, you know, he might say, um, shoot an email and say, Hey, you know, Paul, we're, we're coming up there. We're playing TCF. We're playing a TCF. Can, can I get you on the phone, um, this week sometime? Let me know when. Sure. Absolutely. Um, it's things that can be as scheduled as, as much as possible. And we certainly understand people, people are busy, but the more that you communicate and you over communicate and you under assume, um, that's, that's what's beneficial. And two, I think, um, probably one of the biggest, um, things that I would think people in the broadcasting profession here is, and, and you asked me before we started the show was, how do you say my last name? Um, you, you know, sometimes, um, especially in college athletics where these guys, the majority of them won't go on and play pro and, and who knows how many plays they make, or if they get in the game, that last name is very important because mom and dad might be watching at home or friends and family and, 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 you know, brothers and sisters and, um, some, you know, some names are, are more difficult to say than others. So that's one of the reasons why if you go on gophersports.com, we have a, an audio file on every player, um, every football player's bio page where you can click on it and you can hear that student athlete say their name. Um, so some, because sometimes I get them wrong too. And they say, Hey, how do you say this? And I'm like, well, Hey, actually let's go and listen to the student athlete saying it. And I think what that trained ear that broadcasters have is it might be a little bit more beneficial to do it that way. I will say that uh, our pronunciation guide, I think, is the best in the country. That's not because of me. That's because of Mike Grimm. Uh, he comes in. Um, we spend about two or three hours going over the entire roster, and he helps me spell everything phonetically because one thing I'm not good at is spelling phonetically, and he's tremendous at it. So um, I think the, the the biggest things are 
too, like on a Thursday night or a Friday night, especially after you wrapped all these meetings up. And again, we're always happy to help, but there's a lot of sometimes last minute requests. Um, and some things it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, you're obviously happy to do. But the other thing is you say, say the damn score, I guess my podcast would be read the damn game notes because almost every question we get, it's in the game notes that we are, we, we have provided for a, for a, for a Monday. So uh, if you really want to help, that's, that's probably the main thing that broadcasters could do would be read the game notes and then come and ask questions if they're not in there. What are some of the difficult names or name stories that you have in your time, uh, not even just with the Gophers, just in your professional career? Oh, well, um, well, he's one of my favorite players ever at the University of Minnesota. I mean, Winston Scott did a lot of Bodir the third, and uh, I think we – uh, had three different pronunciations for his name. And I think sometimes maybe he even uh, tries to trick us up and say it a little bit differently too. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the more difficult ones um, that we've had. And, you know, he was with us for five years and from Baltimore and just an amazing young man. And um, But every time he ever talked to somebody, I would say, Winston, tell him how to say your name because they're going to want to know. And, you know, and he played in, I think 50 games. So you, you heard it a lot. Um, you know, I worked at the OPGA tour as well, um, where that's, that's an international tour. It's a worldwide tour and the diversity of that tour is what makes it so special. And, and there are just some names where, you know, it's, it's not a, not a language where, where I, uh, you know, I, I speak. So sometimes you struggle with those. Um, I think one of the more interesting stories is, um, it's not a difficult name, but Sayri Pak, one of the best golfers ever to play on the LPGA tour, her last name used to be Park, I believe, but um, on a passport somewhere, the R got left out and it became Pac. And so because on the LPGA Tour, there's a, there's quite a handful of players that have the last name Park, um, usually from South Korea, because um, they excel exceptionally at, at women's golf. And and uh, Sayri is probably the, the best to ever do it. But her last name was Pac. And I, I don't know if it's urban legend or not, but I always heard it was because the the, the, the R was left out of a out of a passport one time. So um and then, you know, working in the National Hockey League, too, where, you you know, it's it's international. I'm trying to think of this, if there's any tricky names that we actually had at the Caps right away. I mean, Milan Yurcina, uh, J-U-R-C-I-N-A. Um, you know, that was, that was, that was a difficult, difficult one that some people would have to ask about. But uh, um, the Winston, Winston was probably the one. Cause that's not it, not only a sometimes challenging one to say, but it's challenging to spell, too. So... Uh, but he he might be the one that uh, might might have been the most difficult during uh, my time in this in this career. A lot of play-by-play people are in minor league baseball or minor league hockey, and in a position where they have to do a lot of the game note writing and the writing of press releases. What tips would you give for writing good game notes and good press releases? And you're right. I mean, that's, uh, and I think you, you, you mentioned you were speaking to some individuals at D3 schools too, and God bless those individuals because, um, then they're the ones doing the hard work where it's kind of a one person shop. And, uh, you know, I work with football and, and help with our championships at the University of Minnesota. And, and that job some, sometimes seems overwhelming, but when you have an individual that has to, you know, work at a smaller school or not has to, but works at a smaller school and they might have 15, 20 sports on their own. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's work right there. And so when you talk about some of these minor league broadcasters that are doing, that are serving as the PR person and the radio broadcaster, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's tremendous. I don't think I could do anything like that. You know, my game notes, I try to make them extremely factual and extremely concise as possible. That's what I try to do because again, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think a ton of people read them. I think if they, I think if a lot of our media did read them, they would save themselves a lot of their own personal research and their, their save some questions that they would, be asking our staff and might be able to do their jobs a little more efficiently. But that's why I try to make my game notes. I try to think what would, what historical information do people want to know, or what would people be writing about that, um, that I should be looking up and helping them with. And then I try to, I, I collect that information and then I try to make it as concise and consumable as, as possible. And two, um, I think a lot of people in my profession, um, and maybe this is why game notes aren't read is I try to keep my game notes short. Like I don't, I think for football, everything in there might be 30 some pages at the end, at the end of the season. And some schools, cause I have to print them. 
and 80 page game notes. Well, shoot, I'm not reading those either. I mean, I just wouldn't, I mean, that's, that's, that's a waste of time. And so I try to, I try to be very cognizant of what I think would be useful um, and then try to uh, research it and then try to put it in position where it's easily for, you know, it's that snackable content that people talk about where, you know, it's, and there's, there's a few things more rewarding where maybe you're, you're, I mean, we've been replaying a lot of classic games because of what's going on with the coronavirus and, and you, you hear uh, a media member mention something, you're like, oh, I know they got that right from my game notes. And it's, it might be that little nugget where they just, they add in um, and, and, you know, that, that kind of stuff makes you feel proud. But the other thing, I guess what I was saying, and we talked about Mike Graham a lot here and we should is, um, you know, a year or two ago, I sat down with him and I said, here's my game notes. What's helpful and what's not helpful? Because these are for you. And he went through and was like, don't need this. Don't need this. Hey, you have this in here, but it's the last page. I need this earlier. Or you don't have a page about um, single game career highs. And I'm like, oh, you want that? He's like, I, I do. As a radio person, I want to hang that up. So if something happens, I can glance over it and, and print it right away. So um, I think it's just having that relationship, too, um, of making sure that the, the people are reading them that you have in there what, what they want, as opposed to just, you know, here's a page recap on a game that happened nine nine weeks ago. And here's 20 pages of player bios. Like, I don't, I don't think people are finding that information useful. Being the bridge between coaches and media, what challenges does that bring up uh, just with uh, the access that certain people want that you can't give to everybody? Yeah, you know, I've actually thought about this a lot, to be honest with you, and um, I've been very fortunate. I mean, because, you know, when you think about it, the LPGA Tour, I, work, I worked with Annika Sorenstam. Um, one of the best golfers, not just female golfers, but one of the best golfers in the history of the game. And she was awesome. Um, we had a very clear plan, uh, her media, media availability for the, the entire week that uh, um, her, her agency helped with as well. And um, she was extremely accommodating with her time. And then I went to the, the NHL where my boss there, Nate Yule, maybe the best boss I've ever had. You know, we had Alex Ovechkin, and so I'm, I went from the greatest, one of the greatest golfers of all time, to one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. And I got there during Ovechkin's second year, and uh, Nate told him when he was a rookie, "Hey, Wayne Gretzky talked after every game, win or lose, you, you talk after every game." And so I was there for three and a half seasons, and and I think Alex talked nearly after every single game. And if there's one or two who said, "Hey, I don't want to." I talked to him for a minute and he would come out and, you know, be gracious with his time. And then, um, you know, Bruce Boudreaux, who was here at the Minnesota wild for a while, you know, when, when we were in Washington, DC, we, we received the league's PR, you know, uh, staff of the year, four years in a row. And that had nothing to do with us, but it had everything to do with Ovechkin and Bruce Boudreaux and our owner, because they're extremely accommodating with their time. And then I come here and, you know, working with coach Fleck, I think coach Fleck's probably the most, available and accessible coach in college football. Now you're right though. You can't do every single media request. And I had to email a couple of people back this morning and even say, I really appreciate your, your reaching out. Um, you know, we, we just can't do every single one. Um, and, and, and you feel bad about that. Um, I do think it's a little different going from pro sports to college sports where professional athletes, you know, they've collected bargaining agreements and they're supposed to spend time with the media um, where a college student athlete, don't. <laughs> and, um, but I always stress to, to our, our kids that people will forget how many yards you rush for, how many tackles you had, how many extra points you kick, how many touchdowns you throw, but what they won't forget is how you treat them. And so the members of our football team right now, I've had so many people come up to me afterward, whether it's at big 10 football media days, or even just after interactions with them on the phone during a week. And, you know, you know, we might have Oh, so, you know, a writer from Bleacher Report or Sports Illustrated or, you know, an outside athletic reporter might come and say, hey, I want to, you know, I'm writing a story on Tanner Morgan. Can I get him on the phone? And so we'll line those up during the week, too. And our, our, our student athletes, I, the one thing that I always hear from media are, well, they looked me in the eye, they shaked my hand, they thanked me for my time. And I think that goes a long way because, um, as I mentioned earlier, people won't won't remember how many touchdowns Tanner Morgan threw for. Well, they, they might, but, but they're going to remember how he represented himself off the field and how accommodating he was with the media for their time. So um, I've been, I've been very fortunate. There's been a couple instances where I've, I've had to, you know, decline media requests, but um, that's usually just out of a, a logistics or, or a time situation than anything else. So, but I do think a lot of that goes back to the relationship that, 
that the communication staff members establish with their coaches and their student athletes. Uh, like if Coach Fleck knows, if I'm asking Coach Fleck for something, he knows that I've vetted it and, and I believe it's important. But I also am extremely aware of how busy he is. And there's stuff that I will turn down just because I know that it doesn't fit into his schedule. So, and that's been across the board, whether it's Bruce Boudreau or, or Annika or, or Alex or, or anybody. So, uh, but, I've, but, I've, but I've been lucky. I've been lucky in terms of working with individuals who understand the importance of the press. A consistent bit that I do on this podcast is I ask broadcasters for their broadcast horror stories where everything goes wrong in a broadcast, the equipment melts down, the, uh, the vantage point is awful, they hit a deer on the way home uh, from some high school game, etc. Uh, obviously, you're not a broadcaster, but I imagine you have some interesting PR uh, horror stories or uh, where you told everybody the wrong name or just something really odd and unusual uh, happened during the hustle and bustle of a game from your perspective. Can you share one or two of those? You really want to go there? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, first one that comes to my mind is Iowa uh, at Iowa 2017. That's a tough place to play. Sidelines are tight. Um, the game I think was on FS1. You know, I, I halftime interviews I coordinate with um, Justin Gard, a sideline reporter, and um, Bruce Feldman uh, was our sideline reporter for TV that game. So I always go to the TV reporter and I say, Hey, um, you know, do, do you need coach going out or, you know, into the, into the locker room at halftime or coming out at, uh, at halftime and they wanted him going in. Well, that's the same time we do radio. So I always talk to Justin guard. I say, Hey, you know, TV's going to get him going in and, and then you'll get him." And, and guard is awesome. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Um, it's easier if, if, uh, for radio is if they get him going in and TV gets him coming out, which is fine too. And so those sidelines are tight and there's not a lot of uh, room to go from the field to the tunnel. And so um, we get TV, we get Bruce Feldman um, and I mean, Bruce didn't do anything wrong. He doesn't know what's happened. And then, um, and then PJ takes off running and um, I didn't do my job. I didn't stop him and say, Hey, we got to do radio. And um, Gargi looked at me and he's like, where'd he go? I'm like, I just, I just, uh, I don't know. I just, I just malfunctioned for a minute, a minute there and I wasn't able to get coached. And so I, I let him down and uh, you're not letting him down. You're letting the listeners down too. Um, because they're the ones that, uh, they really miss out on that, on that interview. Um, you know, we lost the game and that's fine. And, uh, you know, coach Fleck is always extremely gracious with his time and, and, and with the media, especially post game when you lose. Um, that's one thing I love about him when you win or lose, he, he's the same way. And, um, the coach's locker room at Iowa, is extremely small, but one of the things they have to do is post-game radio interviews. And so post-game radio interviews at, at Iowa, we did uh, right outside of that, of that room, but there's a lot of hustle and bustle and equipment staff is, is moving stuff up and down the hallways. And so, um, you know, we were asked, Hey, can we go anywhere where it's a little quieter? And so I was trying to find a spot. I wasn't able to find a spot. And, um, you know, it's like, well, this, this is where we need to do it. And so we, we, we were doing it. And, um, it wasn't best for the broadcast. And then uh, Justin Gard's headset broke and he wasn't able to, to do the interview. And, um, and he looked at me and he's like, it's, it's, it's good. Just, just, just go. And so um, I learned a lot from that game because now every single time we go on the road, I get to the stadium early. I don't arrive when the team arrives. Um, I go with the radio crew and we like to get, even on road games, we get there about three hours early. Sometimes we're there before the home team is there. Um, and we, we scope out, I always scope out the visiting locker room. Most of the ones in the Big Ten, you, you know that, you know where they are now. And, and I always connect with our, our radio engineer, Dan Robotham. And I'm like, hey, where's that visiting radio drop? And sometimes in the coach's office. And it's, it's, it's weird doing an interview in front of 15 other people, right? Especially after a game and other people are talking. So, and sometimes they're in a hallway or sometimes they're, um, Sometimes they're outside, right? <laughs> or sometimes it's better to do it outside if there's not a good position for it. So from that game, I, uh, I learned, hey, I need to be more prepared because I can't let the listeners down. I can't let our radio broadcast partners down. I got to make sure they get everything they need. And um, so now I go and, and I talk with our radio engineer. I connect with Justin Gardner, silent reporter. I'm like, hey, this is where we're doing post game. Got it. Everyone good with this location? Cool. Again, sometimes like at Purdue, um, visiting locker rooms is extremely small. Visiting coaches area is extremely small. 
the radio drop area is, is also used by athletic medicine. We do the post-game radio interview outside. We go back down toward the field. Um, and so I, I, learned, I learned a lot from that. And then I also um, have done an extremely better job um, of, of coordinating with TV and radio about who's going first and second in, in halftime interviews. So uh, that was one that, that, that was one where, um, uh, you know, it's players after the game when they lose are, are I'm sure are obviously disappointed and, 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 you know, rightfully so. And that was after a game where we're on the bus and, and I felt just like them. I'm like, man, I did not have a, did not have a good game today. Are there any questions that you think I should have asked from your perspective on dealing with play-by-play and sports information in general uh, that I haven't? No, I mean, I think that, I think the biggest thing is just um, what I talked about earlier, that level of um, relationship and communication between play-by-play announcers and communication professionals and um you know, I think the worst kind of communication professional can be one that has an ego and thinks they're extremely important because um, we're one of the, um, our job is to help everybody. You talked about us being a bridge earlier between uh, the team and the public. And, and a lot of that goes through the media and goes through radio and TV play-by-play announcers. So um, there's nothing more that I dislike than individuals in my profession who, who, who have an ego and, and think they're, um, you know, bigger than, than, than what they are. So, um, our job's to help. And so I think sometimes that, um, um, but it's also a two-way street. So I think for individual play-by-play announcers that work with PR people, I think they should go to them and say, hey, can, how can I help? And I think PR people can go to those individuals and say, how can I help? Because, you know, I bring up like the game notes, right? Like I was doing extra work I didn't need to do. I was wasting time when I could have been doing something else because I thought something was helpful. And, and everyone I asked said, no, we don't use this information. Okay, cool. We'll get rid of it. So, I mean, I think it all comes down to relationships. I mean, that's why I, whenever I talk to our staff or, or individuals who want to work in this field, I always tell them like our job, we're in the yes business, right? I mean, we're in the relationship business. Yes business. Our job is not really to say no. If no is a last resort, our job is to say, you know, I might not be able to do that for you, but I can do this instead or to get them exactly what they want. But um, again, we're, communication business to relationship business. That's what we're in. So um, over communicate under Zoom. We hear that a lot in, uh, in sports. And I think that's appropriate for, for um, broadcasters and, and uh, PR professionals as well. But the other thing too, is I don't think we, I don't think we should just assume that um, I don't think we should just assume that um, broadcasters shouldn't just assume that I know exactly what they need. Um, and I think that's where, you know, our staff and, you know, our broadcast partners have a really good relationship and, saying, you know, hey, do you have this? Or there might be something that happened last game. I don't, I, I didn't think it was important that, you know, Mike Grimm will come to me and say, hey, that was, you know, people are going to want to know that. You're going to want to provide that in a historical context. So just an open-end communication, I think that's extremely important. All right. Well, that is all I have for you, Paul. Thanks so much uh, for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast. Thank you, Logan. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Paul Rovnack from the University of Minnesota for coming on the show. Now I want to switch gears and chat with Gene McGivern from the University of St. Thomas. One note before we get started, we do discuss what we refer to as the Tommy Johnny game. For those of you unfamiliar with what the heck that is, it's a rivalry game between St. Thomas and St. John's. It's one of the oldest and best Division Three rivalries in the country. It's sold out every year, standing room only. I was able to get to their basketball game last year, and it really was the best small college environment I've ever been in at uh, at any time throughout my career. It's really spectacular, and that is what we are talking about when we refer to the Tommy Johnny game. But anyway, Gene, you've been at the University of St. Thomas for 26 years, 22 different sports, and I just want you to go back in time and tell us what made you decide that you wanted to get into the business of sports information. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you mentioned those years, I, I can't find all those. So, um, I guess, I guess when I, if I really uh, go back, uh, they add up to 32, but it's that old thing when you're doing something you really love and you're around a lot of positive people, like, like we are in athletics, you know, the time kind of really flies by. I actually, I'm a native of Iowa and I went to journalism school at Iowa state and I started out in the newspaper business and 
just took a career change in 1988, moved to Minnesota, and really just was trying to find any job I could. I landed a job downtown Minneapolis as a kind of a copy editing job, and then uh, was looking at the Timberwolves. They were about ready to start up their franchise, and so I was having conversations with folks there. But uh, Augsburg had a halftime SID job open up, and I put my name in and was able to get an interview and was offered that job. So for a few years, I kept my downtown job during the day and then went over at Augsburg and worked the evenings and weekends. And eventually that morphed into a full-time job. I I left my downtown job and just was at Augsburg full-time. I actually started coaching over there uh, as an assistant track coach, uh, and I started up the cross-country program there as the first head coach. Um, I was fortunate enough to be a distance runner at Iowa State, so I had some of that background. I definitely took kind of a different route to get to be an SID. So it's, it's been a, it's kind of crazy to think about when I, when I reflect back and how, again, how the years have really flown by and how the the industry has changed the communications world, newspapers, uh, media world in general. I'm talking to two SIDs as part of this. I wanted to talk to someone from a big school and someone from a smaller school like St. Thomas. So I talked to Paul Rovnack, from the University of Minnesota, and it was just interesting to hear what he said and how very different I imagine it is from what you do as, I don't know exactly what your staff, but I'm going to guess it's you, maybe one or two people covering uh, all 20-plus sports. How do you balance your time and learn all the required knowledge to disperse information, keep stats, everything for 22 different activities yeah it's really a challenge i mean the the interesting thing is that paul and i do a lot of the same things at the core we're we're there to represent our university and and tell the story of our athletics department uh, support our coaches whether it's doing writing uh, media relations uh, working with student athletes so again there's a whole laundry list of things that we are sort of responsible for the obvious difference as you say is that paul has a staff of probably a dozen uh, or more full-time people that they kind of have like a sport model where if, if, if paul has an assistant they may be in charge of uh, maybe they work in, in the fall with soccer and then maybe help with track and field or they may just just do hockey for men or uh, so it's kind of more the sport assignment and then they help with other events and with football and with, with bigger projects. Uh, they may have just a person that just does their publications. They may have someone that just does their social media. Uh, maybe someone that just does their video. So in our, <laughs> at the Division three level, uh, you know, we have to wear a lot of hats. And um, some schools are lucky to have, like, a, a graduate assistant. Um, a, a couple even have uh, some, like, assistant coaches that are assigned uh, duties to maybe give maybe the equivalent of a halftime or, or maybe even a full-time extra person. Um, you know, we rely on students here a lot. And I have a couple colleagues that um, do some of the bigger piece stuff, maybe with webcasting or, or maybe with some of the results, um, you know, like swimming and track and field, for instance, the coaches kind of have their own programs and they run those results to, you know, take that off my plate. But it's definitely a challenge um, to try to juggle everything we do. And, and so it's that old thing where you're kind of a, a jack of all trades and and generally you're you're a master of few. <laughs> and uh, and if anything, again, starting like I did in, in 1988 at Augsburg, I literally started on a typewriter. And even though computers were were in the mode, you know, then that, you know, they were just a little bit behind. So everything evolved. And then it, it, after 2000, the internet really kicked in and people started understanding it better. So really in that 2003, 2004 era, the internet became this great opportunity. And so just completely revolutionized, you know, what, how we do our job in the, in the sports Sports information, media relations, uh, communications, you know, depending on, on how it's labeled. You know, we're in the process now of trying to upgrade, especially as we look at a new conference and the potential of maybe going into a Division One world, we're going to need to really upgrade a lot. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always that balancing act. 
at, at Division three schools, our budgets are just different than, than the University of Minnesota and those Power Five schools. So, you know, we, we have part-time coaches in situations or part-time assistants. You know, our budgets are just never going to be what those big schools are. So, you know, it, it, it becomes kind of more of a, like with anything in life, you know what you have and you just try to do the best you can. You have to kind of make what your priorities are and you have to kind of always reevaluate those. But uh, um, you definitely get pulled a lot of directions and the work never all, you know, you're never going to get it all done and, and things fall through the cracks and it's unfortunate, but you try to do the best you can and, and uh, understand, you know, try to take advantage of the opportunities where you really have a chance to put your school in the local media or, highlight things on your own website or with your own social media channels. And you guys are in, again, a different position than at a bigger school, but what is the relationship between you and uh, play-by-play broadcasters, both uh, covering your home games and the opposing or uh, regional media that may occasionally come in during big games like the Tommy Johnny matchup, something like that. Yeah, you know that's a that's a good example, you know, because the Tommy Johnny game for one day a year in the fall for football, for instance, uh, kind of gives us a taste of what Paul and his peers go through, you know, all the time. I mean, all other basketball, hockey, football in particular, they they, you know, it, it's a different scale to what we're normally used to if. If we're playing a non-conference game um, this year, you know, we may have uh, Tommy Media as the student media on campus. They they use our sporting events as kind of a teaching lab. So they, they're pretty good about they, – they may have five, four, five, even six students working a game, either writing or taking photos or taking video or doing social media. So uh, we, we get the chance to work with a few people like that. Um, obviously, we have WCCO Radio has been calling St. Thomas games for the last 10 years. So we work with Dave Lee and, and Eric Nelson and their engineer. Um, and occasionally we'll get a Star Tribune or a Pioneer Press, for instance, or maybe a visiting visiting radio in, in many of the games, not all of the games. But, yeah, it, the Tommy Johnny game becomes all of a sudden we go from that that normal pool of maybe eight or ten people that were sort of helping on game day to 40 or more than 40. Obviously, at the Allianz game this last fall, um, you know, all the TV stations were there, visiting radio. Um, you know, there were, again, there were well over 40 media people, photographers. Um, and that game just always draws that interest. So it does give you a chance to see. Um, it, it doesn't, uh, it would be harder for us if we were moving to a, a Summit League future, if that plays out. At least we have that Tommy Johnny experience. And some of the postseason games we've hosted, we've hosted a lot of tournaments uh basketball softball tournaments so you get a taste of that wider uh, coverage with television and, and and again within that there's just subtleties that television wants certain things radio needs certain things um when we have ncaa events uh we there's a sort of a protocol post game for instance of you know cooling off period and then visiting team or, or the non-advancing team usually goes first so there's a protocol that you follow, and we've kind of started to incorporate that in just all of our sports this year as we as we just try to bring a little more organization. Um, for instance, in the past, a soccer game, there may there may just be one reporter from Tommy Media there, but it used to be just pretty low-key, low and uh, you tried to work with them, but it, was, um, it wasn't a big deal to, to worry about credentials or, or area, interview areas, et cetera. And so we've, we're moving towards that more just to make it a little more uh, everybody understands what, what the policies are. It's good for the, it's good for Tommy media, especially because if they go on into the world to cover sports, you know, after college, they're, they're going to need to get used to pro- policies and, and rules um, like, you know, the Vikings or twins. Uh, so it, it's, it's kind of a good idea for everybody's sake. Um, you, you know, and again, I think media, it's been interesting because even though some of the bigger outlets have shrunk the number of staff, the number of reporters, I think you see, you see more bloggers, you see more smaller media that are kind of coming and, and, and you have to, you know, accommodate. So, you know, I think there's always, 
you know, you, you, we always are going to need that pool of outside media that cover your team and you want to, you know, do the best you can. I and mean, we're trying to be that go between and help them do their job and, uh, you know, but also, you know, make sure that our athletes and coaches, you know, there's some order to it. And um, obviously, it, you know, I'm sure if you talk to Paul, one of the challenges they have is, you know, there's so much interest in, in some of like Richard Patino's players that they could have interviews just every day at all times. So they, they of course, really have a tight window of when you have access to the coaches and the athletes. You know, traditionally, we've been a lot more loose on that here. Um, but I think even, you know, as we, again, assess our future, we're, pro- we're prepared to, to tighten that up a little too. Um, you know, again, knowing that the time, the time um, demands on our student athletes and even our coaches, um, you know, the main thing is we're just going to try to find that best and happy medium where, where the uh, media can do their job and want to continue to keep coming back to St. Thomas and know that we're going to be professional, but, but welcoming and, and really try to help them. And then, um, you know, then again, our coaches and athletes can, can get that coverage of, of their program, but also have, you know, some sanity. And so it isn't just um, getting calls at night on their phone or, you know, getting calls in the middle of the day when they're in class or something. What is, what are the pet peeves that you deal with from media and particularly play-by-play guys that that annoy you that you wish you didn't have to deal with that they we can maybe tell somebody to avoid um boy you know we i think we're fortunate here again we don't deal with as many the crush on a game day and i think the hardest part even like like again the, the what i could relate to would be a tommy johnny is you know we we're usually able to kind of accommodate everybody or find a way to say yes or find a way to help them when there's only eight or 10, you know, and all of a sudden when you start getting into the, the coverage that a power five school like the Gophers would get, or even on a Tommy Johnny game, it's a little frustrating because you can't sort of be there. And, um, you know, I can't control our press box situation. And so, you know, I can't, I feel bad that it, but this is the best we've got, but this is where you've got to work. And, um, you know, just in, that as an example, if, at our level, we don't always, have um we don't have maybe right now like monitors set up where they can watch the stats you know i mean we all our games with live stats now and live video there's ways that if folks bring their laptop um they usually you know we work with them they usually can figure out um but in general it's it's more of a frustration it isn't really anything they do certainly it's more just again at our level i think we the, the folks the visiting radio, the St. John's, uh, Carlton sometimes will bring their crew, Gustavus. Uh, Those folks are, they're kind of, I would say, very low maintenance people. They're not, you know, um, they, they, they're they used to working in, in <laughs> covering high school games and covering small college games and working through whatever situations thrown at them. And again, for, for the most part, we, we haven't had to deal with uh, a lot of, you know, problems with, with, uh, with them. I mean, again, it might be a question you ask them, you know, maybe they'd have complaints about us maybe. And, and, uh, but again, we try to do the best we can to, to understand, accommodate them. I mean, even something as simple at our level is, you know, the St. John's and St. Thomas, if you have a big roster, you know, we have double numbers for players and it can get really confusing. Um, you know, if we dress 120 guys at a, at a home game, you know, sometimes we have 30 or 35 guys wearing, you know, doubled, doubled up. And, and sometimes, you know, it just the way it works out, they're on the field. They can't be on the field together in the same time. Um, but, you know, it's not uncommon to have maybe a defensive starter, number six in the secondary and a wide receiver that plays a lot on offense as number six. So I know Ryan Clinton at St. John's and myself were part of our pregame routine throughout the week as we spell out okay, here, here's the numbered situations that your PA person and your radio folks have to watch out for. And, um, you know, usually it works out, but sometimes, you know, uh, uh, the wrong guy gets announced, you know, in the second half of a game and a backup running back's in and he carries the ball six times in a row. But, you know, sometimes the other radio is calling out a different name. and So that's maddening and there's not really an easy solution to that, you know, um, unless they – go to a triple numbers, um, we start being able to 
say guys are 123 or whatever. <laughs> what is the trickiest? But that's probably the one, the one thing that really jumps out that kind of drives you a little crazy is, is knowing if I'm listening to a game, maybe an away game from home or, or just knowing that even sometimes our, you know, every once in a while, even our, our public address announcer will be announcing in, in the second half of a, of a game where all the reserves are getting in and, <laughs> they're announcing the wrong number 30, but you know, it's like, how do you try to communicate that? It makes it, it makes it a challenge. You guys get to make the pronunciation guides. What are some of the trickiest names you've had to deal with in your time at St. Thomas and in the MIAC? Oh man. Um, <laughs> funny thing is the obvious ones you learn just because um, you just know that everyone's going to ask that. The ones that get you in trouble are the ones you just make the assumption and, and you, you know, there's, there's a name that's pronounced um, different than, than you would expect. And then sometimes one of the things you learn and you kind of learn the hard way over and over even sometimes is you, sometimes the coach will give you a pronunciation, but if you don't check it with the player, you know, I've had cases where a, a guy will come up and say, the senior and say, oh, by the way, my name is pronounced this. And we joke and, and they'll say, yeah, for three years, you guys have pronounced, they ever pronounced it wrong. And it's like, well, guys, I wish you'd have told me that when you were a freshman, you know, but um, yeah, it's definitely part of the, the, as you know, from your announcing, it's, it's, it's a challenge and, and, you know, that's usually the first thing you do. A good, a good announcer will check a roster pregame and double check and, and ask and uh, several, I mean, the funny thing is now occasionally you'll even get a first name that's pronounced a unique way too. So you, you can't just assume it's the, it's the last name, but you know, and again, we, we, uh, a lot of times with our own, if we're having bas- uh, students work our baseball games and our softball and our baseball, and, and they may bring in maybe 10 different players might, in the course of the time, work some of those games. You know, you, you have to kind of continue to try to re-educate people and, and you know, where, it, you know, like if it's, you know, Dave Lee usually we're able to, you know, right away by the second game, you know, we usually were able to figure out if there's any, um, we keep our stats up where Dave and, and Eric work, which helps me because then I, I can know if they have questions. And, and there are times, again, with the double numbers where we get into that third, fourth quarter where, you know, they look at me and I'm, <laughs> I run over and point in the program as, as this guy, or I try to help correct them just so they don't get off on a tangent, you know, talking about the wrong player. Part of a lot of play-by-play jobs, especially in the minor leagues, in baseball and hockey is writing the game notes and writing the press releases, something that you do frequently with in your position. Uh, what suggestions would you give to somebody else who needed to write good press releases and game notes? That's a great question, you know, because that, because we talk about that within our group a fair amount and because it evolves, it changes. And I think, I do think that, there's kind of a, an old school approach and, and maybe more of a modern and it kind of reflects on a lot of the way we we do our job in general too, is that generally the, the old school approach is kind of more is better. And, and, you know, the, the big, you might remember the days of the 400 page media guys and for, at, at the D one level and um, you know, just more, 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 more content is better. And then I think in like a lot of ways that the modern, approaches less is more and and you know the attention spans are shorter and and that and so in general i bet more people would just assume me give them a two-page list of notes like if i'm going to work with the gustavus announcer you know every once in a while there's there's somebody out there that likes that they they want this seven eight pages so you know that's that's part of our quandary is like how do you please the person that likes a, a lot and then some and again, radio is a different, like every sport's different. It's certain sports, the action's fast enough that, like basketball, you know, I, I, I'm probably not going to go beyond one page of, of quick notes just because there's probably not going to be enough opportunity for them to talk. Football, as you know, with an injury or with, with uh, some of the halftime breaks, some of the pregame, if they do a longer show, there's more time to share some of the data and, and or, you know, some, like well, we've, we've been blessed to have ESPN come and cover some of our playoff games. Now, those folks definitely like the volume of stuff so they can kind of decipher and figure out what they're going to highlight and they can communicate even with their production truck, maybe even to, 
you know, pull out a few things they, they're going to want to have a, a certain shot for. But, uh, you know, it's a great question, and it, it kind of, you know, to answer it, it just sort of evolves and it depends. And I guess I kind of probably default to, like, we probably put out about an eight-page uh, football uh, weekly thing that, that we have on our website and we send out to the to people we know are going to need it. Um, I guess it's more like I'd rather err on the side of too much than not enough, but, um, you know, it's also – it, it, in, in the future, you know, if, if we get a bigger staff and, and we would have, say, maybe a football SID type, you know, then that person would probably do, do even more. But it, it also kind of gets back to that thing, too, where we still are juggling a lot of stuff. There's eight ball sports going on. We have to also work kind of smartly and we have to kind of do things so we're not reinventing the wheel all the time. So, um, like, notes is probably a good case where we try to update them and we sometimes edit them throughout the year but you know every once in a while there's some there's some that just stay on there and we're you know again for that that person that's calling your game that hasn't really followed your program as close or hasn't you know hasn't read about certain things every once in a while they there's a fact in there they like to to use on the air we have a regular bit on this show where i ask broadcasters usually for what i call their broadcast horror stories and since you're not an actual broadcaster i'm going to rephrase it to what is your uh, sports information horror story of um, stats crashing in a weird way and having to rewatch tape or just something weird that happened that was not actually horrific but just annoying that you can laugh at now? You know, I've been doing this for 32 years, and the sad thing is I wish I could go back X number of years to pull out one of those stories, but I, I don't want to have to go back to – right before the pandemic ended. I mean, we literally had a playoff game where our computer just just froze up and we're in a postseason basketball game. So all of a sudden, the live stats die. Um, we have live video, so the folks that were trying to follow it could follow it. But, you know, some people, it's easier for them to follow live stats, maybe a, a radio. Someone calling another game, it's easier for them just to quick look at that to, to see how the score or how the game's going. But you're just, it's just the, the nature of things, you know, in a perfect world, maybe you'd have a backup stat system or something, but, you know, on the fly to be able to, to stop that and plug that into your system. Um, but that kind of stuff sadly happens a lot. Um, you know, the stats in general is a, it's really evolving after a pretty static, probably 10, 15 years where this one, one company basically had 80% of the college sports business. And so everyone kind of got comfortable with that system. And now the NCAA has gone to a genius software and it's a little more state of the art. Um, it's, it's got more bells and whistles, but it's, there's a little more of a learning curve. So that uh, is really a, a challenge like with anything that's new. And they rolled out basketball two years ago. That, um, then last year they added volleyball and soccer. And this year they're hopefully going to add football, but, football and hockey and maybe baseball softball are yet to come. And again, there's a, there's a learning curve there. And that's one of those basic things that, you know, we want to do a lot of things well, but that's one of the things we really have to do well. And especially for the broadcaster, they, they need that in game. And so once, once you have that rare time that at least, you know, probably frankly about once a year, you have that basketball game where where something happens and all of a sudden that you know i mean then you're writing everything down by hand and and then after the game i think that one night it was the game ended at probably nine or eight fifty, and it was probably 11 o'clock before we had the stats inputted and able to send to the other team and the old days that wouldn't have been a big deal but in this in this era i mean if the game ends at eight forty-five, people you know want to know at eight forty-six, they want to see the box and so the, that two hours is like two days, you know, in, in, in SID time, you know, so um, that's the kind of stuff that gives you gray hairs and, and keeps you awake at night. And, and, uh, and again, it's compounded when you just don't have a big staff. So you, you, you know, frankly, like at the U, they may have, they may have a guy, they just hire out their stats to. And so, you know, it's more managing those different things. And at our level, there's some managing, but a lot of times it's, you know, you're in there, like, for instance, I, I sit right with my stat crew. They, most of the time they do it and they do fine. But every once in a while I got to help them or 
um, if, if one of them can't make it or gets sick, you know, I got to jump in and, and do part of that stat. Um, you write directly on the crew or if it's Christmas break time and kids are going home, you know, so again, it gets back to that. Um, sadly, I wish I, I, you know, again, there's just a lot of horror stories of, of just not being able to deliver what you want to do. And, and, you know, mostly out of your control. Like for instance, one thing I've learned is like, say it's not really practical to keep two sets, two laptops, two sets of game stats going. But, but I, a lot of times I'll keep a play by play just on the side. So if something does happen, because sometimes with a genius program, for instance, if they do make a mistake or, or get behind, sometimes maybe for three minutes, they're out of commission. And in football, three minutes isn't as bad because of a, it, you know, there's a play and then there's 30 seconds between plays and that. But in basketball, three minutes, there's a lot that can happen and it can really screw up your stats. So several times I'm handing them a sheet of things that I've kept and then they're able to go back in and get caught up quicker. Um, so, and again, there's not a nice where I'm writing a lot of play-by-play that ends up just getting thrown in the garbage and, and wasn't needed. But it's just one of those things that I've learned that, you know, whatever you can do to help in case, you know, it's like an insurance policy in case that computer does crash. You know, the crazy thing is with some of the computers, um, some of the stat crew programs that we used to use, we have to use these old, older computers to run this old program. And until Genius completely takes over in a couple of years, the Genius program you can run on any platform, for instance, any any new computer or tablet. So you're less likely to have the computer be part of the problem. But um, so, yeah, the, the, techno- the technological part, just like, you know, if you talk to radio guys, I'm sure every once in a while they get knocked off the air and, you know, um, if the Wi-Fi is bad or the connections are bad or whatever, that's that's got to be maddening for them. And, you know, every once in a while we'll get, like in football, they they really rely, of course, on the headphones from the press box down to the sideline. So every once in a while that in the middle of the game we're scrambling. And I think the rule is if one, if one team's don't work, then the other team's got to take theirs down. You know, those are the, the nightmare kind of situations, like for our, our, our equipment manager and people that that's in their area and they set it up pregame and break it down and that all right well once again i want to remind everybody we are visiting with gene mcgivern he is the sports information director for the university of st thomas in st paul minnesota and gene thanks for taking the time to come on the show hey thanks thanks for listening to the say the damn score podcast remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of say the also, please follow me on your favorite social media app. And remember, Apple Podcast Reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated and helps make the show better. Finally, please reach out to the guests of the show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more. And also, read the damn game notes.